Welcome back to the Typical Time Podcast. This week I'm speaking to Matt Hickman, also known as Brown Bear. Matt has worked closely with The View, as well as Kyle Faulkner, and also been on tour with Baby Shambles and the Libertines, amongst other bands. Matt helps out doing tour management and stuff like that, and he's highly regarded around the music industry. Also, you can go and check out Brown Bear's music, which is all available on Spotify. So, me and Matt spoke a bit about The View and a bit about his own career and what's going on in the music industry just now. I hope you all enjoy the interview and I'll speak to you at the end. Thank you. Thanks, Matt, for coming on. We'll just give us a wee introduction and who you are, where you're from, how you grew up. All that stuff for the beginning. Well, I'm uh, Matthew Hickman. Uh, I'm the lead singer of Brown Bear, or black people usually just call me Brown Bear. And yeah, man, I grew, I grew up in Larks in North Ayrshire. Um, just like everyone else, man. Like I just, I, I probably wanted to be good at football because everyone in the West plays football, and uh, I was shit at it. So <laughs> I had to be good at something. And I thought I'd give music a try, and. Uh, yeah, like it's been a, I've I've had a very fortunate life so far in terms of music in my career. Was uh, music a bit a big part of your life growing up with your mum and dad, didn't it? Yeah, man. Like my my parents were huge into music. Um, you know, my mum sang a bit, my dad parted about in guitar, but neither of them were. It was like anyone in my family were musicians, but they were really passionate about music. Especially my dad, like it was like his life, you know, in between work and and. He was amazing because he believed in, like, you should listen to everything. So, like, see if a new record would come out, like, a new CD, would buy it. And I would sometimes think, like, what? Like, you know, my dad's big thing was Queen, so I grew up loving, like, Queen. And, and so I was listening to the last episode with um, the guy from Banter Thieves. And right. uh, it was funny because I was thinking, mate, that was me. I was a pure wee mosher into, like, pure skate music and that because of the age. I guess it's like a 90s thing. Like, I grew up listening to Nirvana and some 41 and all that. My, my dad's thing was Queen and, and all those kind of classic bands, Led Zeppelin. And, uh, so so I got like a really good musical education, whereas my mum was like soul and Motown and, and, and they met in between and probably blues. And like, you know, like I was lucky, man. Like my dad had like Robert Johnson in the collection. You know what I mean? Like from a young age, I was listening to like Muddy Waters and I was like vibing that stuff. But then my dad would go to the shop and buy like, you know, Keen and the Aye. sugar babes whatever the album was and he would just listen to it and he might never listen to it again he would just listen to it and go like okay that's an album so from a young age I, I, he never let me have like a prejudice about music it was like man like music's music and you either like it or you don't and just and the only way you'll know if you like it or not is if you listen to it I never grew up thinking like nah man that's pop music nah man that's not because you know at, at the end of the day like maybe not now but in those days pop writers were some of the best writers in the world Mm-hmm. And they were writing for a job. That was their job was to write those songs. And um, you know, it's easy to dismiss it. But I think if anyone ever tries to write songs, like writing a pop song, um, and writing a happy song are the hardest things you'll ever do. Yeah. It's easy to waffle on for fifteen minutes, man. Like you call it art, but you're just fucking waffling. If you can't say something in three minutes, you what are you saying? When did you kinda start kinda packing up the guitar and things and kind of think that you wanted to make a life yeah. <laughs> do, do you know what like my mum sent me to piano lessons when I was wee right and I just wasn't into it like and I wish I was see now I regret it and uh, 
the piano teacher always had these books about um, Anastasia, but like the real life, not like the the cartoon version, like the real life story of it. So I used to just think, I'm just gonna ask her about that because she's like I, I was really intuitive as a kid, and I would look around and I think there's more than one of those books, so she must be into it. So I'll ask about that, and she'll get into it, and she did, and now I won't have to play piano. But really, probably what happened is she thought this wee muggins is getting me to quid to sit and talk about something like. <laughs> My mum thought I'm putting an end to that, and um, I was like, "But I want to play guitar because my dad had one, and, and it was like forbidden." My dad's like, "Don't touch that, you know." But as soon as someone says, "Don't," you're like, "I'm gonna do it." And yeah. um, then my my pals in school, their big brother got a guitar, and they were always playing. And one day he taught me like smells like teen spirit or something like that, and I was like, "Oh, this is class! I can play guitar. I get it." And my parents kind of finally caved and got me like a, a kind of wee electric guitar, and that was it. Like I, I think I was maybe. 10 right and that was it for me like i spent every day i just went to my room and played guitar i just wanted to be in a rock band i wanted to be like nirvana and um yeah and, and it's funny because like that's not how i got into music you know like when i was wee i, I was so into like michael jackson and all that and i asked my mum to change my name to michael so many times and i was like come on it's the quick close to mafia and um <laughs> Yeah, and then I ended up getting to rock music and guitar, and I just wanted to play. And I was kind of lucky that like other boys that I was hanging around with, like they wanted to play as well. And it became like as kids do a competition. And yeah, and after that, I was just obsessed with like. I think guitar that, and music. that kind of comes up a lot on the podcast as well. Like, I don't know if people go out looking for it, but kind of the people all gravitate towards each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think as well, like, my mum is a very wise woman, and, uh, you know, I remember being wee and we were looking for an Argos catalogue, and there was a McFlurry maker in it, and I said, like, I went, I stupidly, I went through and showed my mum, I was like, this is class, like, this is what, I've got to speak to April, and like, this is going to be Christmas, like, that's my sister, and uh, <laughs> I, I went up, and my sister went in, she, she came back the next day, and I, I was like, April, like, I've seen this McFlurry maker, and the uh, the catalogue, like we've got to show, we've got to show you, and it'll be amazing. We'll get, it, we'll get mum to try and get it for Christmas or something. And I went back down to the catalogue and I couldn't find it. And like to this day, like I know my mum ripped that page out and put it in the bin. So as soon as I went upstairs, she ripped that out. Thought I'm not fucking having. It. He's fat enough, you know. What I mean? <laughs> like so, so when I was wee, I was like obsessed with music, and my other obsession was wrestling. Like I wouldn't shut up about wrestling, and I was like convinced, like I, I would love to be a wrestler. And uh, I think my mum thought get the guitar. Cause I'm not going through this whole wrestling business. Like, I, he needs to stop with that. Yeah. Like, you know. So then the guitar came, and that was it. Like, I was just, and yeah, kind of. I think, it, you know, I I loved football. I was wasn't great at it, and my mum and my sister both were dancers and were into acting at the time. I wasn't. I was too shy. I was just, you know, like it's funny because I was painfully shy as a kid. But a guitar for me, I would sit in my room and I would just feel like I had yeah. something I was into, and I would like get vibe words and. Um, yeah, but I never really played in front of anyone for a long, long time. Like right. even though I was sitting in my room playing all the time. So, what happened then? Did you speaking off mic? Obviously, you were saying about you went to you studied music law and stuff like that. So, what happened? Well, I studied uh, commercial music after school, right. and then part of that was like there was law and all that. And so, yeah, I just I, I was I just become super interested in music and. I wanted to do a music course um, and I got into UWS to do commercial music and 
I'd never thought about music as a business. I just thought maybe you were in a band and it happened one day and they were teaching us about the business and how it worked. And I was like fascinated. I've got a really curious mind. And when I'm interested in something, I'm a bit like a sponge, you know, I like, I can need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it. So I started really thinking about it and how music put together. Um, and I started in a band with someone I went to uni with and another friend who we'd all, we'd all been in a band as like kind of just side musicians before. Mm-hmm. And we were like, start our own thing, man. And uh, <laughs> we started a band called Brown Bear and the Bandits and we did a song called Truth or Dare and we just didn't even, I mean, we didn't even know how to put it out. We put it out in the SoundCloud or something like that, but mm-hmm. it just so happened a guy uh, heard the song and he worked for a label, but he was he was a Scottish guy who was on Radio 1's introducing show at the time. So like one of our first plays was Radio 1, you know what I mean? It was just like, what? Yeah, and then good. he ran a club night in Guruk at the cafe Continental. I don't know if, like, maybe I'm sure people have even seen Kyle play there. And um, yeah, he, he got us to go down his place club night. And when I was there, I met a guy, and the guy was like, oh, "I really, I really dig this." I actually heard the song because David showed me. Um, I might have a gig for you. Are you free in the state? And I was like, "Yeah, I think so, man." He's like, "Well, I'll be in touch." And then I never, I never heard from him. I thought, "Wow, that was weird. I don't know what's going to go down with that." And I got a phone call maybe like two days before the date. And it was, he was like, it's Adrian, um, are you still still up for that gig? I was like, sure, man, like, just let us know what it is. He's like, well, this is the venue, this is the time you've got to be there. But I'll phone you on the day if it's going ahead. Um, got a phone call on the day, he's like, yeah, this is going to go, so come up to Edinburgh just now. And we went up to Edinburgh, we got there, and there's a big tour bus. And we can get walking up the street with the guitars, and we can, uh, Pete Doherty jumps out the bus. He's like, oh, hello there, you all right? <laughs> I was like, Sad man, and like you know, what I mean, like you didn't even really tell us that's what the gig was. He just like told me to turn up, and then the next time we were supporting Pete Dogdate, right. in Edinburgh, and it was just like, what right. is going on? Were you a fanny Pete at that point? Nah, man, I was. I was never into indie music ever. Right. Like th- this is so weird that we got thrown into this indie world, and um, mm. I knew nothing of it, and and I still feel bad to this day about that a bit because there's people who are so fanatical about those bands. Ah, uh, I've got. Tattoo, that tattoo. Yeah, yeah. I see. Hey, just like that thing. You see that? Glass man, yeah. Uh, yes. oh, they were like my. It was my bands. I say it on the podcast all the time. It was Embrace and then the Libertines and then the View. Mm-hmm. So I, Pete was like a hero. So, I so you weren't a fan of you. Just oh, I wasn't different like, to it really. I just hadn't ever thought much on it and. Indie wasn't my thing. I used to think I didn't like indie music because I thought, like, what's that? Like, I, I had this thing, like, I don't know, I kind of thought indie music was going to be all like the cooks. Mm. People used to go on a bit of school and I was into rock music at the time. I was like, man, I love love Metallica, rock and roll dude. And yeah, and then, you know what, like, it was just such a gentle giant, like, uh, and yeah, it was a great show and, and we got a really great relationship with Adrian after that and Adrian ended up managing us as well. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously he managed The View. Uh, when they, well, I, I think he managed us first, and then the, the view came after, and um, yeah, so it was just kind of a whirlwind. It was like you know what I mean. Like we just put a song out, and the next thing we knew, we had like management, and we'd been on Radio One. We supported Peter, um, and yeah, that was a great few years. Like that band was cool, but we, you know we were friends, and it was like just not really a professional outfit. And I think my management could see that I really wanted to be professional, and the other two weren't really vibing that same 
thing and it caused a lot of conflict and a lot of friction and that kind of that band ended and we thought well what are we going to do and I was like well I'd, I'd really like a fresh start but they were kind of like I don't know man I don't think you should drop the brown bear thing if you do have a fresh start like you kind of you kind of own that that wee name like just do it so that's how it became brown bear which like to me is a totally separate project so I don't think of that as the same thing I just think like I got a fresh start in 2014 and uh, the bandit so you, you you didn't sing didn't you know no, I was the singer in that as well. Were you? Yeah. I read, I read somewhere that you didn't, you moved into singing later on. No. no, I was always a singer in the Bandits, but I was in a band before that as well. Right. Where I just played guitar. Um, right. And that's how I met the Bandits through that. Right. Because that was kind of going to be my next question. How did that feel kind of state up to, to playing guitar into singing? Was that an issue for you at the time? Uh, you know, I tried to do some solo gigs before. I was, so I was kind of used to it, um, but I, I've never thought of myself as a singer, you know, I just wanted to write songs and I guess if this is how I'm going to write songs, I'm going to have to suck it up and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I struggled for a long time with performing just because I didn't think I was like good enough and I was quite nervous, but um, you know, when you're out on the road and you're playing shows everywhere, we had to sing in the, in the Brown Bear and the Bandits where we were like, Man, I don't know how to get known, but like, let's just try to go every town we can. So we would just phone up people and see if we could get shows. And if they're like, yeah, we would just get in the car and go and do them, no matter where it was. And um, before we knew it, we'd played like hundreds of shows, you know, like yeah. just smashing out shows anywhere we could and seeing if we could pick up any supporters. And um, like we got, uh, after we got the Peter gig, we got a Baby Shambles, a couple of Baby Shambles supporters as well. Um, so you know it was cool, but like now I look back and think like, why wow, and what was I even? What songs were I, was I singing back then? There was just no structure to it. There was no plan. There was just like it was just chaos. Like always just. Um, and I used to be frustrated at management, thinking like, what they don't do anything for us. What they what, what is their plans? But I think they were just like, they could see something in me, and they were like, let's just let them get out of the system. And, yeah, because you know, I mean, like last night you know, like you're, I think you sound super confident. I think you get a, a brilliant voice. Uh, but are you always kind of do you always feel like you're working on it do you always feel like you could be better yeah I think um, eventually I stopped being so negative about it like and I thought okay like I don't think I'm a singer I think I'm a songwriter but if I keep saying I'm not a singer I'll never be one and uh, I really went away and I I worked on singing and I thought I'm going to I want to come back and you know I, I love soul music and um, playing more piano as well that helped me sing the ukulele funny enough like it helped me ukulele is a great instrument because you can't hide you know it's so sparse like you need great melodies and um, you know I was like I, I was like, I feel like I can write really great songs but I, I'm not sure that I'm writing the best melodies like I think my lyrics sometimes carry a, a tune more than the tune and I was like, I just want to be a stronger songwriter, so I need to go and push myself. Um, so yeah, I just really kept working on it and kept working on it and just kept trying and failing until I got more confident. And now I feel really, I feel like a, a good point about being a singer now. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, you, you know, like when you meet someone like, uh, that's what I, obviously this podcast is about, you know, first and foremost, often the view, like, with Kyle, like he's just such an exceptional singer, and I think sometimes people don't maybe know that because, you, you know, you might hear that more in his solo record than you do in the View albums. 
because he's, mm-hmm. he's they've got a thing, and sometimes the the songs are in that indie canon, so they're perhaps more restrictive, and you maybe don't realise that he's doing all those backing vocals. And but man, he can sing like you know, like seriously, like can yeah. sing, and yeah. uh, it's like effortless for him. And I've always been envious of people like that. Like they're just, I, I work really hard to be able to sing well. And there's people with man who just sing. Yeah. And they've just got it. And I think that's good. And it's yeah, you could that. just sing anything. It would sound good for sure. What about tour management? When did that kind of start? Because it was Adrian kind of got you involved in that, didn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing I would say is like, I've always been a kind of co-manager of Brown Bear. And mm. I used to manage all of our tours. So even when we were going to Europe or anything, I was always doing the budgets and uh, I'm really well organised. So in between, we spoke a, a bit off air, like we had a, a, an issue, a legal issue with the first album that caused a delay. And uh, it just derailed everything, you know, that first. It's really hard being in a band, you know, we, we went from being like a buzz band and everyone in London was like, yeah, this is cool. Like, like let's see what happens with them. Will we, will we sign them? Will we not? And... Uh, They'll tell you things like, go and make an album and we'll talk. And then you go and make an album and they go, oh, you're not cool anymore because you've not been playing shows. We don't want to listen to the album. Like, that's how music works. And I used to take it personally, man. I used to be like, well, I, I so badly wanted to be signed or to be approved of. Whereas now I kind of think like, wow, like, why would you want to be signed? It's crazy. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, Because to me, it's like, it's as if you have like all the tools to build your own house. And you you know how to do it, but then you still went and bought a house mm. and got it got into a debt. It's like, what are you doing, man? Like, why are you getting into a debt with some people who don't give a shit about music? So, um, but you know, I, I I'm a bit older now and a bit. But when you're young, you just want to, you want to have what everyone else has. Yeah. Uh, so it got totally derailed, and I just felt really down in the dumps. And I think one thing I'd say about Adrian, like as a manager, like he he really cared about as a person and he could see that I was down and a bit lost and he was like you know what Matt like why don't you come and work for the Libertines for a show just for a show we need we need someone to help out with this show it's Tina Park mm-hmm. and um <laughs> but I'm, I'm I'm I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing right so I would just be like going up to people and be like do you need a hand and they'd be like oh no one's ever offered me a hand before like yeah of course so like, and then do this do that and then you know I think what came next was it like I think it was then Redden and Leeds and then the more I was around the crew, they were, you know what happened for me, I think genuinely that changed things was I, I went up to the crew when we were setting up and I said, because they said to me that like, you've got to go and get all the water and stuff like that for folk, being in the band, but I just thought like it was everyone. I'd, I'd right. never worked in a big show before. So I was like, oh, um, did you just need water or anything? And the crew were like, us? And I was like, yeah, man. And they're like, no one's, no one's ever offered us water before I was like I think that's my job I don't know and they were like oh we like you so then they were like here do you want to see how we set up the stage and I was like of course so then the next day they would be like you know we're doing that just now could you give us a hand I'd be like yeah of course you showed me yesterday and then you know the security I might see and they, you're chatting away to them and um, I do believe Scottish people have a certain temperament so sometimes you'll say something to someone you know a, a lot of people in the setup might have been English and you say something really genuinely like, could you do that but they, they hear the accent and go, oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to not have done that. So then they're like, oh, so they, they caught on that really quickly and they'd go, yeah, get Matt to ask them because they seem to always do stuff he says. So I would just call to people and say, like, you have to do that, by the way. And they go, shit, sorry, like, I didn't, didn't mean not to do it. 
and I was just like this wee angry Scottish guy sitting around to do the tasks no one wanted to do but I just thought that was like what yeah. I was supposed to do you're the least um, angry sounding guy I've ever heard as well that, that's like my uh, wife my wife's English and uh, like she's from London and whenever we go out somewhere she says every conversation she hears in a pub she thinks it's going to be a, what, a, an <laughs> argument it's going, it's going to turn into a fight and I'm like no they two are pals <laughs> I know <laughs> I think that as well I think it's just the way we talk up here and we kind of, I don't know if it's just, I, I think Scottish people, they like a bit of banter and sometimes it does kind of, if you're out with your pals, you kind of noise them up and it, it, it can sound. Do you know I say though? I do think we're, you know, if you saw, I've been in England before and seen people be harassed in the street mm-hmm. and people in England tend to go, oh my goodness, that's bad and they'll watch or they'll walk away. Whereas I feel like if you're in Scotland, that happens. Someone usually steps in and says, "Here, what? Yeah. Do you want to fucking give that a rest?" And I do think there's a slight difference in uh, personality, mm-hmm. and they're they're a bit less confrontational than us. We don't think we're confrontational. We're probably we're just really uh, honest or whatever, and they're just used to not being so forthright. Um, so yeah, I got I got kind of batted around that way, but the crew started to really like me. So then, um. That that's that was just the festival run, and I thought like, I don't know what happened with that. It was an amazing experience, and I was just got to learn some cool things, and uh, I I just split up with someone, and I'd lived with them for a long time. I was living in Glasgow, so I went in a massive blowout. I was like, yeah, me and my pals rented a, a flat, and we just had like a massive party, and I got a phone call like, could you leave for a tour tomorrow morning? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, just meet the bus here, and, and we'll, the tour's happening. And I was like, fuck it, I've got nothing else to do. I ended up working on the tour for the Libertines, and. Man, it was like the best. I still think it's one of the best experiences I've ever had. And uh, I just learned so much. I mean, we toured with them before as support by this point. And it's so funny because I was so scared of some of that crew. I was so intimidated by the the size of the shows and all that. And um, and then to get to know them and they're just such nice guys. And, you know, I was always, I was always just like, I'd love to learn. And I think if you ever go into anything and you genuinely just want to learn, people will show you, you know, and then... I think I feel like some crew members got envious. They're like, "Here, how did they get that? We extra help." We were going to speak to Matt tomorrow, and then you know, um, I don't know. They just kind of like to have me around, and I, and I took that time to learn as much as I could about how tours work, how the advancing works, how security works, all, all those things. I just wanted to know. I was just like fascinated by the production and the professionalism, um, and yeah, I think after that finished. Uh, I was back to Brown Bear and we did the album and that was cool and I was you know, happy to be doing that and mm-hmm. um, and then Kyle was starting to do solo shows and they said would you like to do it and I was kind of like I don't know I don't know if that's for me like, Was that Adrian again? Yeah so they were like do you want to do the shows and I was kind of like oh, I don't know like you know I, I, being on a tour where you're working like that is great and been putting me in I mean, originally as well, it wasn't to tour manage, it was just to drive and like right. kind of maybe become the tour manager for his solo stuff if it went anywhere. And I was kind of like, nah, I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. Um, and it didn't happen the first time. And then, you know, Kyle went and he'd, he'd obviously had a stint in Thailand and he came back. And for me, like I, I stopped drinking uh, maybe eight years ago now. So right. I'm not drinking eight years. Well management really trusted me and they knew I wasn't a drinker and you know Falk was now sober and 
I think they thought it would be a good combination, so they, they put me with them and uh, yeah, I ended up somehow became the tour manager. But do you know what? It was funny. Like I, on that first tour, I was a supporter as well, and that yeah. was like me, Kyle, and Billy Mitchell, and fuck, you know, like see doing like the advancing and then the driving and then try to make sure the show happened and do your support. You know, some of the shows I actually ended up not supporting. I used well, to say like that's it because I, I went to see where was it the Boogaloo in Paisley. Yeah. And I don't think you played that night. No. But you looked kind of, every time I seen you, you looked kind of, you were busy. So I yeah, could understand why you didn't play. There's a lot to do. Um, you know, it's funny, like I, I've told this story a few times and uh, I, I remember I said to Adrian, like, what do you do if like, you just can't get people out of the dressing room? Because there's, there's a lot of people who come, you know, like if you're listening to this, like, Sometimes I'll, some someone will say like, "Can we come back and meet them, even if they know them?" And I'll always say like, "You know, like come come and come and find me in a bit more time because there's things we have to do." And um, and then there's nothing more annoying than when you go away and you come back and the person's in the dressing room and you're just like, "Man, could you not respect what I said for two minutes?" Because people don't understand how much stuff has to be done because they've never worked a show. Yeah. Um, and also like in that, you know, like backstage is like your private area to unwind and like doing a show is a lot so yeah to, to, to someone after a show and expect them to give you a, a lot back they're like man i've just given all myself for an hour and a half like they just want 10 minutes to wind down and then they'll be really accessible um so i said to adrian like what what do you do if like you just can't get folk out of the dressing room and he's like i always say like if your name's not hunter or, or Doherty, just fuck off out of the room and I remember going into a dressing room once and being like, see if your name's not Hickman or Faulkner, I get out. And nobody moved. And it turned out like everyone was his family. They were all called Faulkner. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just be the one to remove myself then, guys. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so, like that, that was a stressful show. <clears throat> and um, sometimes on these solo tours, like they, they were filling those venues so full and there just was no security really. And... No well, a lot of them are kind of like little kind of pubs, weren't they? Like maybe had like 300 or whatever. So Yeah. So so I'd gone from like a setup where they're doing like, you know, the Libertines are doing like, I don't know, two, three thousand capacity shows mm. more. I mean, they, I mean, Glasgow was like two, uh, was more than 2,000. But, and you've got everything in place to like a pub and they've not got a dressing room and you're trying to get like privacy for Kyle yeah. and I was just like man and you're trying to get from A to B in the hotel and like figure out what's going on and um, yeah it was it was a, it was a real learning curve and uh, it was it was stressful and it's how me and Billy Mitchell became so friendly you know like I, he was on that sh- that tour and man like ev- every night he just left his shit line and I, just, and I used to clean it up and I used to think what is this guy about and I didn't know him and uh it's funny because before the tour, the guy who was putting the tour on had texted Kyle and said, what's what's Matt like? And Kyle had texted him back saying, like, Matt's really nice and you'll really like him, but he won't like you and he'll tell you to your face that he doesn't like you. But like that that never became the case because I, I got him with everyone really well and nobody caused any issues. But, um, you know, when you're looking after a tour, it's like a big responsibility and you can't. A lot of things could go wrong, so you can't mince your words. It's not you. I don't. I, you know, I've had people say to me like, "You're quite short, like you're quite strict," but um, you're responsible for everyone's safety. Yeah. And um, whether the people, whether the people in the crowd know that or not, like I'm, I'm responsible for their safety as well. Um, a lot striding on your shoulders. Um, 
you know, and I, I hate it, man. I just think, like, see when someone gets up in shoulders and I've got to tell them to get down, I just think, man, I, I feel like I'm killing your fun. But if you knew, like, how much liability that would cause for us, like, you need to get down. <laughs> and people, you could see people, like, this guy is an asshole. <laughs> like, I remember I remember once it was a Kyle show and people were really going for it. And I was, like, saying to the security, like, you need to get them to come down. And, and Rennie was like, come on, man, just let them have fun. And I was like, Rennie, don't make me feel worse than I already do. <laughs> um... But yeah, like th- there's a lot of riding, a, a lot of pressure, and yeah, because uh, I, I mean, I've never thought it like that. You don't, you just once you go to a gig, you just you get caught up in it, and you to- totally tell you not to have fun, has it? Yeah, totally. And, and all I'm thinking about is like, well, if you fall off your shoulders and crack your skull, like that's really bad news for everyone. Yeah, and I'm sober, obviously, as well, and just trying to get through the day and. It was a lounge so so Billy never cleaned up his shit and uh I thought, man, fuck this. And then it was Linlithgow. I just said to him, like, see if you do that again, like I'm just leaving it. Like so when we get to the venue tomorrow and you don't have stuff, that's your fucking problem. It's not mine. Because I'm not here to look after you. Like I'm here to look after Faulkner. And he was like, Oh Jesus, like shit, sorry, I didn't even realise. And then he was like, Can I give you a hand? And he was really helpful. And I was like, Oh, and then we became like I see from that moment on we were like thick as thieves. Like just me and Billy did everything together and I, I love him and uh, and this is one thing I'd say to people you know like most people would never have said that to Billy they would have just let him do it and then told everybody afterwards never work with him he's a pain in the arse mm. whereas I just thought like I'm just going to tell him and he'll act one or two ways and, and he, he was like I didn't even think about that and it was amazing and I, and I would say to people all the time like work with Billy he's, he's amazing Yeah. And and I think like for as much as people think I'm quite abrupt you know I think that's better because we just got the problem resolved instead of me going and talking behind his back and saying like, ah, I don't work with him. He's well annoying. Like that's what people do. And I think, I think that's really sad. I think you should just always say to someone like, this is annoying me right now. And if, could we change that? And it's a yeah. bit uncomfortable, but it gets sorted. Um, it's just yeah, a bit of honesty, isn't it? Really that. So, because yeah. the, the more you let that happen, then the more it's going to happen and the worse it's totally. going to get. And then it's going to be harder to sort. I spoke to someone though. I spoke to a few people, man, that are in bands that are like, "Oh man, I felt like you were really, really harsh of us in that dressing room." And I was kind of like, well, "I didn't mean to be, but you know, like we've got like really strict things for a reason." Yeah. And uh, you'll some, I'll sometimes meet them through Brown Bear. <laughs> I mean, and I'm like, "Oh god, they're gonna think I'm such a dickhead." And but it's my job. Like at the end of the day, I, I always just tell myself, like, you know, my job's safety of first and foremost the the crew. Yeah. And then also the public and um you know i'd rather people were safe than be liked because that's that's my job and that's the reality being being the tour manager usually makes you the least popular person in the van because you're the person that delivers bad news but but you're also the person that gets people out of trouble so do you do you think uh obviously working with pete and then working with kyle probably do pretty you know, challenging like two of the hardest ones to, to look after so yeah. you could probably go and look after them do you know I think so do you know what I, I tour managed an act I won't name them like for a few shows and they were so well behaved like they did nothing they just sat in their laptop until they were ready to go on and that honestly mm. for as much as I've said like some of the tours I've been on have been stressful like I couldn't do it it was too boring I was like this is boring like you know um <laughs> And all the all the madness is what makes your job great. 
because you're like problem solving and you're working and you're good and um but you know i'll be honest there's been a couple of people who have seen me do shows with kyle who work with other acts and they've been like would you come and work in this tour and i'm like well, i feel like the reason you're asking me that is because you think he's difficult and you think they're difficult and you want me to work in a difficult tour you know and that's one thing i'd say about kyle like he, he isn't difficult all the time you know he's like um i think the difficulty for me and kyle comes sometimes because he just wants me to be like having a laugh because we're pals mm -hmm. and i'm like Could, like stop because i'm trying i'm trying to do my job and he's like why he's a bit like why are you being so serious and i'm like because he do he's he doesn't take anything to do with like the liability stuff yeah and i'm like oh well, it's just like stuff i have to deal with and i think sometimes he got frustrated like come on like i've, I've been your pal for years like why are you being like such a kind yeah. of a square square about things and i'm like well i've just need to get that done and um you know that that was i think I, I think that's probably the only tension we ever really had was just like trying to balance friendship and professionalism yeah because it's hard when you're friends right and sometimes i've got to be like i say the bearer of bad news and the one to but it's, it's different I, I, people say like working those tours must have been bad but i got them at really good times you know both mm -hmm. like when i worked those libertines tours peter was he, he was clean he'd just come out of rehab I worked with Kyle, you know, he'd been sober, he's, he's had the kids, like, it's not like yeah. the old days, you know. Well, he's a totally changed man, and I see all his Instagram posts, and it's all kind of, everything's about the kids and all that, and they both mm. kind of, these two kids both look so much like him, and it's unbelievable. I know, and they're uh, such wee characters, like, yeah. they just have, like, you know, they just were born with pure personalities, like, mm. just superstar personalities, like, um, he's, he's, he's just, yeah, he's very different from the view days for sure yeah so just going back a bit obviously you say that you were you became friends with him so was that did you become friends with him for touring like uh, playing gigs together or what yeah i mean i think i mean i can't really say <laughs> all, all of the situation but like mm. um we've done some shows together and I think he found it weird maybe because we'd met before for aging and when we got on really well in the pub and he said come on the tour but when we were on that tour I was really standoffish and I think he thought like I've invited you here and you're quite quiet but I'd always like had this thing where you know I'm not there to disrupt things so I'm just there to say hi and get on stage you know mm -hmm. and another band that were the tour support were um, really in their space and they didn't really seem to know any boundaries of when they should and shouldn't be like that and for me, I was just like, no, I just want to respect your space. But I'm like, maybe he thought, like, is this guy weird? Does he not want to be here? And I was just trying to be, like, really respectful. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, then then they asked me to help out with a couple of shows and I helped him out with a few situations. And we got talking one day and we had a really good day just chatting about stuff in life. And we realised we had, like, quite a lot in common. And then, uh, you know, we ended up talking those. And he came and played a show. I played a show in stereo and he came and did a guest bit. And, you know, we were mm -hmm. just kept in touch and like we got on quite well and the more and more we did like we got on and then obviously we toured together so much now and um yeah and i think like a really big turning point for me because you know like that's the thing you have to remember as well like i'm younger than kyle by like i think four years or so right i'm still in my 20s like i was a really young tour manager um and I think at first he thought, like, who's this guy? Like, I've done him for years, and this, like, Muggins going to tell me what to do. But 
through the shows, I'd gotten to know. I I hit it off a storm with his uh, his brother-in-law. We just right. got on really well and we, about like because I was really into acoustic music and, and folk, see folk folks really into like like everything he's into. I was really into John Martin and, and so was Andy. So we were talking for ages about it and he was like, Do you know that song I was playing it and we were watching these concerts together in a hotel one night? And uh you, you know, I, I think I think a lot of people haven't ever bothered to take the time to get know, to know Kyle. I think a lot of people meet him and just assume I've heard this about you, so I'm just gonna assume that's you. And I think the next time we were doing shows, the first thing I said to him was like, Oh, how's Andy doing? And he was like, That's so nice that you asked about the family. I was like, Ah, oh, of course, man, I really got on with them and I I I I, I, I Got to know his family as well, and I took time to know his real life, you know, not just yeah. his work life. And I think he appreciated that, and then he had a lot more respect for me, and it made everything just so much easier. And it, it wasn't like a weird work boundary; it was just like he knew he knew that I wanted the best thing for him, and yeah. I was just trying to make that happen. And I, I think a lot of people, a lot of people over time, have come in and tried to tell him what to do. Whereas, like, whenever he says he's got to do something, I just say, well, that's up to you if you want to do it. And then he, like, second guesses himself. He's like, oh, is this a trap? Like, I, should, should, he, 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 he thinks it through and then he doesn't do it. He's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I say, I, I don't know if he's tripped me or not. <laughs> and, but I'm just like, man, you do what you want to do. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here, I'm not here to, like, tell you what to do. Like, I just, as long as the show happens, I've done my job. What about uh, the rest of the band? How did you get on with the rest of them? Oh, so so well. Like, um, he he got an amazing. Is this for the viewer or for Kyle or for both? Uh, well, just talking about the rest of the band. Do you like the rest of the view? How you get on the, the view? Yeah, great. Like, I, 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 do you know the thing is, I, I knew Kieran first. Right. Um, you wrote a song I'd, with Kieran, didn't you? you yeah, we, song, we, right? we wrote we wrote a song together, and it never seen the light of day. I've, I hope it does one day. I really like it. I think it's cool, but. It's just it's just one of those things that's never never happened so far. But yeah, so I knew Kieran first. He'd done some writing, as you say, and he came to like my very first show in London. And he's just always been like, I mean, he's really fought for us to be on supports and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. Kieran's like really stuck out for me, and I, I love him. And we got on on a, a like a kind of political level as well. You know, we've got mm-hmm. a lot to talk about like that. And uh, man, I just think he's a fascinating guy, and he's such an underrated songwriter. Like he really is. Like, see when you sit, see when I was sitting right with him, I was just blown away by his grasp of lyrics, and he's honestly like probably the most underrated songwriter in Scotland for yeah. sure. Like people, people maybe wouldn't think to write with Webby, but like if you ever get the chance to, do it because he's incredible. He looks after the the younger bands, the bands coming up, did not he? He's kind of mm-hmm. championed a couple of bands like Alvida, who's big into the He's always yeah. been like that, but I think he, I think they, he's always appreciated that that's kind of what happened for them with the yeah. with the Libertines. You know, they got an opportunity through other bands. Yeah, and you always need a leg up, didn't you? you always need somebody to kind of fight for you. Totally. Um. So yeah, I got I got him with Kieran really well, and um, you know, I got to know Mo, got him with Mo pretty well. I think I got to, I probably got to know Renny a little bit better. Post the view, like <laughs> Rennie came to a few of the Libertine shows when they were touring, right. and I, I got I got known for that, and we had a good laugh. And then when, it, when obviously when we were on tour with Kyle, like I love Rennie, like he is one of the nicest guys I've ever yeah. met, and he's just he's got such a good nature. And do you know what? Like he made my life easier because people find it hard to be mad if Rennie's there. So if I was really like mad about something or trying to be mad, you know, like 
or I was thinking, I was getting agitated. Rennie has this way of walking into a room, you know, and just saying, I wouldn't have done it that way. And just walks away and everyone goes like, oh man, he's right. I don't know, he just has this, and he, he just hands in his pockets, like in the parka, like doesn't, he just, oh, I wouldn't have done that myself and just walks out and everyone goes, ah, it's nice. <laughs> like I should have listened to Rennie, like, um, yeah, and then and then I, Pete, Pete's really quiet, like yeah. So it takes it takes a long time to get known, but he's actually like an amazingly interesting guy, and he's just really lovely to talk to, and he's like a, an exceptional musician, like honestly, like mind blowingly good, and yeah, I think I think Pete Pete has a Pete has everyone's respect at all times. That's what yeah. I would say. If you, you know, like I, I know, like it seems like maybe I shouldn't say this, and but Falk will probably hate it, but. I do feel like they kind of look up to Pete, and I think he does. Like, I, I reckon Pete's probably the pe- the peacekeeper. If there's ever peace needing kept, like I feel like they all really respect him. Yeah, we'll see. Like, the mind you, all the old videos, like when they run about the second album, Drive with a Style. They they done that DVD that came along with Watch Batch. Yeah, and he was always kind of whenever there was any kind of carry on. You know, he was always at the in the middle of it. Yeah. He always seemed to be the one that kind of with the wise cracks and things that could. If there was a bit of tension, he'd be the one that could kind of crack it. You ever, you ever shake someone's hand and you just know like they could knock me out. Mm-hmm. Like that's Pete. Like he's shaking Pete. his hand. He's not. He's not aggressive. He's, I don't think. I don't know if he'd ever hit a fly, but like he just. It's just like the strongest handshake I've ever felt in my life. So like I don't know if that's part of it. People go like, oh. You know, the quiet ones are always the ones you've got to, like, be scared of, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but he's just got this... He's got a really calming presence and a really level head. And, um, yeah, he's just a great guy and he's really chilled. Um, and then, yeah, that's that's the boys. Like, they're just amazing amazing to know and amazing in their own ways. And, like, all, all their different personalities are what makes them so special. Yeah. Like, that... They, it's the same in the Labertines, like they, they're four very different people, but when they come together, it's like, wow, like I've experienced something. Mm. It's I find that the kind of see like the friendship with Pete and Carol, mm-hmm. and I kind of find the same kind of relationship with just looking at it from the outside with Kyle and Kieran, mm-hmm. and kind of because they're both kind of different personalities, the same way Pete and Carla, and I've always. Love my life, see like my my best pal. I always kind of compare me and him to the, yeah. these kind of relationships. I always feel like I'm the peak. I always feel like I'm the <laughs> one that's getting looked after it. Uh, but I that kind of things like that fascinate me, like kind of relationships between bands, between bandmates. Yeah. Should I say? I think it's really fascinating. I found I found it amazingly fascinating in the Libertines camp, like just seeing those dynamics and mm. um P- peter is an enigma like you know yeah um, it, it really is just like larger than life i think and uh because i don't i don't think i think that about anyone in the like they are all amazing in their own way but like they're really just not normal people, but they're not. They're just like they just who are who they are, and they're like you know they're they're superstars, and they're, they're definitely. But Peter's just like really is like something really like wow different about him. Like he's just got an aura around him that I can't really explain. Like, mm. um, 
and it's cool. It's, it's kind of cool to be around someone who you're like, fuck, like, and, and seeing the way people, like, cause I've seen a lot of people meet Kyle and be like, like tearful. Like, I can't believe I've met Kyle, but yeah, I still, I've never come across someone meeting Kyle the way I've seen people interact with Peter. I remember being at Tea in the Park backstage and uh, George Ezra said to me, like, could you introduce me to Peter? He was like standing watching him. He's like, do you think you could? I was like, of course. And, uh, He's, he, I said, Peter, this is like George. He was playing earlier in the day, and he was he was just he just stood in awe. Like I mean, think about George Ezra, like he's massive, but he yeah. was just standing in awe, just staring at Peter. Like didn't didn't know what I said to him. Just like couldn't believe he'd met him. You know, like <laughs> I, I've seen like actual celebrities look at Peter and just not know what to say to him. Just be like I can't believe I'm looking at Peter. He does have this yeah thing. You know, it's crazy. He's a big, tall guy, though, as well, isn't he? Kinda, you don't kind of oh, realise how dominating he, he would be walking in the room. Yeah, totally. So, moving on, maybe talk a wee bit more about yourself. Obviously, your album. And the thing that strikes me about it, obviously, straight away is, well, well no straight away, because I've listened to the album three or four times, and mm. it's dead catchy. And it's not until you sit and think about it and kind of think like the subject matter is kind of a bit dark compared to the, the kind of catchiness of it. Right. Uh, was that something that you kind of, was that intentional or was that just kind of happen like that? I think it just happens. I think I just always go to a really dark place. I think I thought like, <laughs> I'm going to have to make something seem happy if folk are going to listen to this. I, yeah. I kind of love that melancholy, man. I think, but I, I think that's the same as films. Isn't it? Like you, you watch. I think a lot of great music you listen to, and if you actually listen to the lyrics and the subject, you're like, shit, that was like quite like severe or dark, and it's wrapped up in a really enjoyable, yeah. accessible way. And I have this thing where I'm like, you know, choruses have to be accessible, and if you want to be specific, you you earn the right to do that in your verses. In the verses, tell a story, make people think about it. But the choruses have to be something that everyone can relate to. Um, but you know, I don't I don't know if I intend to do it so much, or if it's just how it is. And uh, and I love telling stories. Like I just love to tell stories. And I think that's what songs are. They're just yeah. another way of storytelling. That covers man. See the the chorus for covers man. I've been that's been in my head all day. See, because I knew I was interviewing you today. It's just been constant. My missus like, I'm yeah. going to shut up with that. <laughs> do you know what's great about that song? Like, I remember sitting in a, I, I, so I do this thing sometimes, like, I just sit and talk to myself or like, rhyme, or, and I was with someone that hated that I did it, and I was sitting like, and I was like, uh, I pull back the covers, find you got another lover, pull back the covers, find you got another lover, saying some annoying shit like that. And she was just like, fuck off. Like, I fucking, she, she used to just look at me like, I wish you would die. <laughs> She fucking despised me, you know what I mean? And I still do it. I talk in like two lane rhymes, so I'll 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 I'm not gonna do it now because I don't embarrass myself, but and I feel like under pressure, but like if I'm really like just vibing it, like I'll walk around and talk in two lane rhymes, like if anyone knows Jamie Coleman as well, who used to deck for me and he he worked in the Kyle store, yeah. I'll sometimes just leave him a voice note and tell a story and it's all in two two lane rhymes and the the rhyme has to change every two line lines. And uh so I used to do stuff like that and she's just like that. So that's always a bit about our relationship and you know, like um I really thought I couldn't leave, but I really thought I fucking hate you. And mm. she definitely hated me and we just it was just comfort, you know, like I'm just so comfortable with you. It's just true, you know, that's exactly what was happening, like Yeah. And she used to 
like genuinely like, like, like you say it hurts but I don't feel it you say it's love but I don't see it feel like that she used to cry all the time and I used to think like what what are you crying about like I don't understand what's going wrong here like and I felt kind of nothing and um, so I wrote that song as if like I just when I was thinking about you've got another lover I wasn't even thinking about being cheated on I was just kind of like a wee thing I was saying and I thought like just because we're not into it and something else she's got something else in her life like she loves work too much and I love music too much and yeah. But then, then in the end, I don't know if I willed this to happen. It like she actually was cheating on me. Like, I don't know if I like I caused that to happen by writing it. I don't know if that's what fucking happens. But like, um, and now it's funnier because the song's true. It wasn't true when I wrote it, and I was like, shit, like this got a whole other meaning now. Like, but um, yeah, my, I remember my friend texting me after that song coming out, going like, why did you put that last line in? That's so depressing. That's so sad. And I'm like, but that's great. It's funny. It's like. That's how songs should be. You should listen to them and then listen back and go like, "What? What was I listening to there?" Yeah. And I feel like that's every song for us. Every song is depressing, but you're just kid. You've been sucked into like the upbeat nature of it. Yeah, because I mean, I listen to I listen to my music a lot at work. I work in like a factory, so I'm indoors and uh, loading a loading mail onto a machine. So there's a lot of time where I'm, it's just me myself up in the corner of the factory, and I'll just see singing away. And it is, and you could be listening to that for a week or something, singing that, and then you're like, the fuck am I singing, man? That's... Do you know what's funny yeah. as well? Because covers comes up a lot, and I never even really thought that much of that as a song. I, I think like, it was the I... first song that I got into yourself, really. It was... Yeah, I, I hear that a lot, but I, I, when I made the album, I didn't think that was like the song. You know what I mean? And that's the, that's the great the great joy in music. Like Sometimes you can be quite dismissive to a song, and someone else hears it and goes, no, that's that's the one. Because in your mind you've got all these ideas about what you think is good and you've got different connections to it or you're vibing it yourself. And and retro was scary for me mm-hmm. because it's quite different. I was like, I don't know if we should do it or not. I don't know if it will be well received. But then I was like, man, I'm vibing it and I like it and let's do it. Um, yeah. And it's nice to freshen things up. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, you can't keep just doing the same style of song either. Otherwise, you're, you're not being true to yourself as an artist. Uh, but everything that I've listened to has been amazing. The videos as well. The videos are always kind of pretty funny and well-made. Uh, is it the same person that's done all your videos or has it been different directors or whatever? So, I was so lucky. I was really into the idea of making videos and and, and all that. I was obsessed with music videos because I think it's a lost art as well. And... Uh, and I guess I was sick of seeing, like, you, you know, every time you see a band's music video, they're just fucking in a forest singing for some reason. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, get out that forest and get an idea. Like, fucking so boring. I, I see a lot of bands now and I just think, what the fuck do people see in you? Like, you're actually boring. And uh, I, and sometimes they're great bands and you think, just get a fucking, like, get, or if, if you don't have an idea for a video, go and find a director who does. Like, don't stand in a forest and just sing songs. It's weird. Yeah. So... <clears throat> I was really obsessed with making videos and I was really, really fortunate. We had a, a, a second manager called Miles who'd been working at the BBC and uh, he knew a guy called Michael Hines who's the director of Still Game and mm-hmm. he said, Michael, would you work in a music video? And he was like, yeah, man, I'll take a punt on it. So we did Dead or Alive together and uh, it was so amazing just working in a... You know, Michael's an amazing director. He, he directed all the Still Game. He's yeah. an exceptional human being. And, you know, he, he was just like, I was saying to him, like, I really want to make videos. And he's like, you know, it takes a lot of time. And then we did One Under Eyes together. And uh, 
I was like, this is great. We're building a relationship and then still game kind of came back and Michael was too busy, but the the things I learned from him were invaluable. And around about the same time, I met, um, there were a couple at the time, Hannah McMillan and Tom Alner, who's the cinematographer. Hannah's the director. And they were like, let's let's make a video. I'd, I'd known Hannah before. Uh, she was from Ayrshire. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm up for it. And uh, so we made Truth Without Consequence and we had no budget for that. Like there was just no budget. And they were like, no, let's just do it. I think the co total cost of the video was like the 30 quid we paid to rent that lift for a day. <laughs> and um, but sometimes that's your best work and we just hit it off a storm and I was like, oh man, let's make more videos. And they were, the, you know, my whole life I've always had ideas and I've pitched them to people and they've just been looking at me like, oh, what the fuck is he on about? And they were the first people to be like, okay, cool, let's see if we can make that happen. And I was like, oh, really? And then um, what came next? Would it be What Is Home, maybe, the video? And I was like, I've got this idea. I'd love to make an actual narrative video. Uh, and we did, and it was great. And, and then the more I've done it, the more I learn about how... The same thing that happened on those tours. I was just like, how does this work? What does that person do? Why do we have this? Um, and then we did covers which was crazy because Tom was like, do you want to try and write and make a video in 24 hours? And I was like, yeah, man, I'll do anything. So, you know, we got there in the morning and we were like, this, I think this is the video idea. Then we had to phone around and see if there was an actress available who would come in and shoot. And then we just filmed it all. We just like, let's just do it. And that's why the video is kind of cool because we didn't have a lot of time, but we were yeah. in this guy, Ludo's apartment. And he had that, like you can see it in the video, like it's like, a total living area and then up the stairs and then there's for some reason the bedroom wall is just curtains and you open them mm -hmm. and I was like this is amazing because we can do some of this video is one take so like they really when you see that in the video when she goes upstairs and does that and the camera pans down back to us like they're gen everyone's genuinely running to get back to the next shot and do it in one take right. but that that's what makes that video feel really fun and continuous and so they let us and that was done in one day one day, yeah. That's, written, that's amazing because it's like really, really professional. Yeah, man, one day written, filmed, edited. And we even posted about it and we thought like, man, it's going to be embarrassing if we don't get this. But fuck it, at least we tried. And then it worked out and it's been it's one of the best videos because we didn't overthink it. We just did it, you yeah. know. Um, so um, then we did retro and by this point I was getting really into writing and had loads of ideas and we, I was like, okay, we're going to make this video um, and with Retro it was weird we'd, we'd gone for funding uh, and when the funding came back they were like your application was amazing but we think you'd be more suited for this fund and then they sent a fund that was for black people mm -hmm. and I just thought like what are like you saying like I don't like I should go and have the black money like we don't want to fund you like go and be funded by black people and I just thought fuck that I'm not didn't apply for the fund yeah uh, so when we made that video I was really pissed off I was like let's make a video about like that about this industry and that view of another thing that happened when we made Retro and we were playing people that new music people kept saying to me like I was really proud of it because I felt like it was the most me I've ever been and it had like, all my influences but people were saying to me like oh now your face fits the music like so what they meant was like now you're playing music that I can see with your face because there was always this thing for us where they're like like Black and brown people don't really belong in indie. That's not your genre. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I don't know why you're here. And I was always kind of that always egged me on more though because I thought, well, fuck it, I'm going to stand up and play. 
Yeah, if it's going to piss people off, then that's what they need, Anna. Need to be. Yeah. So when that came, when people were saying stuff like that, I was a bit upset. I was like, man, like I just don't want people to. I want people to just appreciate the music for what it is and not think about all that shit. And yeah. So we made that video and. It was amazing, man. They got Gordon in, uh, Gordon Miller, just an incredible actor and like such a contagious personality. And I'm really proud of that video. And uh, you know, at that point, I'm starting to be a bit more, again, more involved in the writing and kind of off-screen directing and saying, like, you know, this is where we're going to be, and then performing again. And um, so, in between this, like, we always had this idea for a video for Stop the World, and it never mm-hmm. came to fruition. So. This is a crazy thing for me. I just thought, like, you know what? Like, a, a thing came up to make a short film, and I was like, I'm going to go for it. And I pitched them the idea I had for that video, and they're like, we love that. So, you know, right now, um, I'm currently doing pre-production for a short film, and I'm about to direct my first film next year. This year, hey, I was just going to say that that was going to be my next thing. Is maybe, maybe you should move on to doing something like that yourself. So, is that what we were talking about a couple of days ago when I was texting you? Or, you know. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. it. So it's just been like, again, out of nowhere, just like the opportunity came up and I thought, man, the worst thing I can do is fail, right? So I may as well try. And uh, it's been amazing. And it's just another way to tell stories. Like, I think they, I think when they were talking about commissioning it, um, they'd seen all the videos and they were like, man, you're really great at working with a team to make things come to screen. And I've, I've been so lucky with Tom and Hannah. They've been such a great team. We're, we're, we're doing the pre-production for the next, uh, we've got a single recorded and there's a video we're doing the production for the video just now and it's just been mad like so like right now I'm I'm in the middle of pre-production for a video pre-production for the second album pre-production for a film and it's like oh, like I went from the beginning of lockdown thinking like I don't know what's going to happen to like I don't know how to get more hours in my day yeah <laughs> but and then I'm holding you up with a, a podcast as well for yeah, a bit I love it it's just nice to just sit and talk about it so see, see this film obviously what, what are we talking is what sort of thing is it like a documentary or like a story here or that it's like a, a drama film so right. it'll be like a fully acted uh, short film um, I can't say too much about it oh no no but or uh, Scottish talent or is it yeah well I'm really pushing to film uh, in Ayrshire right. and to cast um, Ayrshire talent you know I'm really big on someone. I think you know Scotland has so much to offer in terms of talent and we're often overlooked and then when we do have our own circles of talent it becomes very Glasgow and Edinburgh heavy mm-hmm. and we overlook areas and I'm really big on diversity like we've always had a very diverse team um, in terms of like female DOPs, female directors um, as much as we can with like obviously people have seen in the videos we have a lot of like black talent in it um, mm-hmm. and that's important to me and you know, this this short film's not really leaning towards um, too much black background stuff, so I don't know how that will work on screen. But um, I was like, you, you know, you know, to me, to me, like, I, you know, I, I'm I'm very proud of growing up in Ayrshire. I'm very like proud. You know, my family were working class, and I really want to like when I talk about my community, like I'm talking just as much about being black as I am about being working class and from Ayrshire and looking out for that background and I think it's so important to give opportunities because opportunities are hard to come by and they're very often in entertainment held by people who can afford to do it yeah. and you know a lot of bands 
you see succeed or have have money come from money or are getting money thrown at them and there's a lot of talented people out there um who just never get that chance so for me i'm like i want to go and make films set in real places with real people and with people from those areas you know like how many times you watch a program set in scotland and half the actors are english putting on the worst scottish accent you've ever heard yeah like, like there's so much talent up here like why are they doing that like we are such a creative and cultural country um and that's a big thing for me you know like again through lockdown like i've been kind of dragged away from even entertainment a bit and a little bit into i guess politics and diversity and yeah which you can't kind of really hide from at the moment with all the stuff that's going on yeah, yeah. And, I, I, and i wouldn't hide from it because i think it's important um, I think it's something it needs to be challenged in that stuff like that uh, yeah. like the racism and things like that needs to be yeah and it's crazy man it's crazy that it's still a thing in this day and age and it's crazy when I hear people say that they don't think it exists and I just think well that's just yeah. not true and uh, you know yeah I've seen a lot of it and, I, and I, that's the thing for me when I when I don't know about you but when I saw that black square stuff and I was just thought fuck this like what what does that mean like you yeah. know to me it was just the music industry saying like we, we're gonna put this black square up so you can stop talking about it and we'll go back to marketing music like see some of the bands who were silent about it it's deafening to me and it's just made you, you know <clears throat> if you if you follow an act mm-hmm. and they said nothing about it like to me that means that they think their audience are don't agree. Yeah. And they've they've hedged their bets on their ticket sales over morality. So if you follow someone on Twitter or Facebook and they said nothing at the time about Black Lives Matter, like, mate, that's all it is. That's all it is. They just thought to themselves, I don't want to lose ticket sales because they think their core audience is uh, anti-Black Lives. And, yeah. and they can tell me otherwise if they want, but I'll probably never believe it because I can see it for what it is. You need to stand up for what you believe in. But do you yeah. not know, think, like, man, like when we when we were growing up listening <coughs> to music, like music stood for something. Like, think about how many acts fought against racism or against the Tories or against yeah. like yeah. Like, music was always kind of the catalyst for for change, wasn't it? For, yeah. I mean, for I can remember like Paul Weller with the Style Council with Red Wedge Movement and stuff like that. You had uh, like all the Help albums and Britpop and things like that there was always kind of music was always a kind of outlet for for yeah. change and, and now you've got like now we've reached a weird point where like musicians are siding with like almost the right wing agenda like fucking Ian Brown saying don't wear a mask like yeah fucking shut it that's the thing like these people like I mean obviously Morrissey's been fucked up for the last fucking 15 year anyway but yeah. Like for Ian Brown to go that way as well, and it's kind of yeah, it's it's horrible to watch actually. These guys yeah, they, that you kind of like people look up to him, man, and he's just saying like, don't. I don't know. There's this weird thing where people are saying that they think they're against establishments, but they're fucking siding with like millionaire establishment folk, and I'm like, what? Like, yeah. you think you're railing against the system? See the amount of people that said to me like, man, it's government control. Like I don't want the government to know my details and all that. I'm like, how do you think you get post, bruv? Yeah. Like, what, what do you think's going on? Like, how do you think? What do you think happens when you sign up to Facebook and you put your credit card online? Like, what, what, what you think? 
you think that's where they're going to control you? Like they've they've been controlling you for years, and to even believe that you're being controlled—that's crazy. Like, just like I, I, I find it quite scary in the world just now because we've like how how, how I, I I like I said this so many times, but like, what's the opposite of Black Lives Matter? Like, what you either think they matter or they don't. We've seen yeah. people say like, I just disagree with Black Lives Matter. Like, what? How's that a standpoint? There's some people I've spoken to and they say they don't like, but as an antifa or whatever. But yeah, like, it's all, these are all, whoever tells me that's it's all kind of right wing folk. Kind of, there's always kind of like there's always a reason why they are putting their views on. Yeah, but like like antifa just means anti-fascist. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah, and like when we when we went to fight the Germans in World War Two, it's because we were anti-fascist. So I'm so I'm confused. I'm like, you're you're saying that you're for like, you want to defend like the statues of like soldiers from World War Two, but you don't believe their right to have been anti-fascist. Like what? Yeah. And then they say things like Marxism, and they don't even know what it means. The majority of the people that that disagree with it don't know what it is that they're disagreeing with. Totally. And that's, oh, I, that's I, a, I and some that's people like can, to just disagree, is it? Yeah, and. The thing has see with that, you, you, it doesn't matter how much you go on, you'll, you'll never change those people's ways. But it's all what about the you, education further what, down the line. You, what do you think caused that though? Like, what? When do you think we reached the point where people didn't believe facts? I don't know. Do, I, do you think that comes from the rise in social media and things like that? And kind of, I, I think so, yeah. I think yeah. it's got to be like. I don't know, like, and and a, bit, and a wee bit of Trump maybe because he he convinced. You know, it's funny. Like, I, I I do I do feel for people in a way because essentially the government in Britain told people to not believe experts for years so that they could push through Brexit, and now mm-hmm. they need us to believe in experts so they can keep safe from a virus. And people go like, I don't believe experts. You told me not to for four years. Yeah. So what did, what did they think the end result was going to be of lying to people? And that's what's scary, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. Like people, people believe crazy things now, and I see people share things, and I just think, like, but a quick Google search would show you that's not true. Yeah, but a lot of these people that share these things, they don't even, they don't even know what they're sharing. You know what I mean? And no, <laughs> no, it's just ignorance. They just kind of see a headline and think, oh, I believe in that, and they share it, and it's not until somebody goes in and reads it, and you're like, that's absolute nonsense. I find it a wee bit scary because I see a lot of people with music saying it. But like I always look at, I always think of music as like a really like liberal left wing thing, mm-hmm. because arts arts is very expressive and it's for the people, and I'm like wow like um, it, yeah it's a, it's a scary time and I just don't know man I'm like wow what's going on and I'm just like I I just try and stay stay off social media now because I like can't handle the way people yeah. speak and the things they believe and but then I I feel like you know I, when um. When the Black Lives Matter thing happened, I just saw a lot of people posting a lot of things and a lot of misinformation, and I thought, like, I need to stand up and speak honestly here. And yeah. my education, my education was very different from a lot of people's, you know. And um, you, you know, I tell this story a lot when when I, and and it's part like what is home? That's the album name, and I thought a lot of time, a long time about what home meant for me. And you know, when I went to school. They would teach you about Africa and they'd say, like, you know, Africa's really poor and it's got malaria and we need to send money over. And they'd show you these clips of, like, kids with swollen bellies and they just... Everything about Africa was about how poor Africa is. And they spoke about Africa like it was a country as well. It wasn't like they went country within the continent. They went, Africa this, Africa that. 
and you know, I, I I grew up thinking that. I grew up thinking like, and you know, people would say things to you like, you know, it's disgusting that you waste food because children are starving in Africa. Like, how many times have you heard that? Like, yeah, everything you ever get told about Africa is negative, and then you get old enough to realise that like you are, in a sense, African, like or half African for you know, like I'm of African descent. Yeah, and you realise that you, what you've been taught your whole life is that you're less than everyone else in that room. Because like your ancestors, your family come from this poor country that we've sent everything to. They don't, you know, when 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 you see the, they don't say like, by the way, Africa. This is think about it, man. They're like, we don't know how the pyramids got there. It couldn't have been Africans that built them. It must have been like people would readily, I believe, believe that aliens put pyramids there before black people. Yeah. And like, and then we don't think there's an issue with race. Like, and then we're teaching kids who are black and brown that they are less. So then I got to a point where I was like, shit, like, who, who am I? Like, and I really hated, like, myself. You know, I, I used to, like, stay in a lot and I'd hate being outside in the sun because I got, like, more and more tanned and brown and I didn't want to be any darker and I didn't want to have curly hair. I just wanted to be like everybody else because it was like, fuck, I, I, I hate that I'm different. Instead of thinking it was, like, f- fine to be that, you know? And mm-hmm. and that that was really conflicting my whole life because I was like, what? Where do I belong? Because, you know, I, I feel like a very passionately Scottish. You know, I, I was one of those kids that would score out British and put Scottish in any form at school and that. And mm-hmm. uh, I was obsessed with the Scottish national team. I just looked at myself as Scot- Scottish. And then I got old enough to realise that the country that I loved so much didn't reciprocate that. They didn't love me. Yeah. They didn't believe that I could ever be one of theirs. And then you're just left in this limbo. And then, But then you have people say to you, like, why do you say you're black or African when you're Scottish born? But they're only doing it to throw it back in your face. Like, well, because my whole life you told me I wasn't Scottish. You know, every, every so many times people have said to me, like, where are you from? Or where's your mum from? Like, where, where are you really from? Like, you're not actually from here. Like, you wouldn't look this way if you're from here, you know? And then and then they say, you know, this has got quite deep, man, but this is no, not the so, you, you know, like, they'll say for years that, you know, have you ever want an explanation for how like extremism works? You know, if there's a kid who's like Muslim, say, and he goes to a predominantly white school, and all he wants to do is play football, but no one play football with him, and then some guy comes along who looks like him, and he's like, "By the way, I've got a squad of boys who play football who look just like you." Yeah, it's not like it's not like they walk up to those boys and say, "Become a terrorist." They groom them, and it's yeah. easy to groom them because we've because yeah, we've treated them so badly in the first place. That they feel yeah. that there's no other option is to find people yeah. that look like themselves, and then it's easy for them to be hateful towards those people because yeah. those people hate all they've ever known is hatred from those people, and that's why it's just like man, just be kind and just be nice and just be accepting and just accept that people are everyone's different, but that's what fucking is beautiful about humanity is that we are all different. It'd be boring if we're all the same. Yeah, and just just respecting people, you know, like. If someone says to you like I don't really like when you say that, if you respect them, you would just you wouldn't say it. You wouldn't say, "Oh, stop being so offended." You'd be like, "Oh, do you know what? Like, I didn't mean to offend you, but if you don't like it, then I won't say it." I mean, that's yeah. just courtesy, right? So yeah, that's my deepness for the day. <laughs> As you say, you get this film coming out. Yeah, you get a single ready to go. Any plans on a second album and like that? Yeah, man. I mean, the second album's written. Uh, I've done the demos, and we're 
chatting, we were doing like pre-production with the producer just now. It's just simply that COVID's delayed it all, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, even though now we technically probably could get into studios by like the way the rules are, I think mm-hmm. we still have a bit of a a moral obligation to be careful and and you know like now's just not the time to have people travelling all over and and you know we all live quite far apart in Brown Bear. Um, so yeah, like we, we we we're ready to make it. We just have to wait for this. It's been a strange year, you know. And we just have to wait for it to pass. But I'm excited for what. I, I really hope that the second album's out this year. I wanted it to be out last year, but obviously, mm-hmm. what happened happened. But I'm hopeful it'll be this year, and hopefully the video will be earlier this year. But we just have to wait and see again with um, restrictions. Yeah, it's just kind of you never know how long this has been going for. It kind of you feel no, as if it's coming to an end, and then. It kind of gets worse again. I don't think there'll be any real gigs this year. Yeah. Um, unless they're maybe outside. Because <clears throat> I, know, I know things are different. But, man, that, that's why we have to... Well, this is it, man. This is where it comes back to like why you have to invest in talent genuinely. Because true talent will be creative and they'll adapt. And they'll make new ways of doing shows mm-hmm. to, for the time being. Or they'll make new ways. Like for me, my, my thing was like... Let's go and try and make an amazing like the video we're planning is crazy, you know. But I was like, let's go and make an amazing video so people are like entertained and they remember like, well, they they really found another way to entertain us. Um, well, you should say let's go and make another amazing video because, yeah. <laughs> like as I say, every one of the videos I've watched is amazing. Ah, oh, cheers, man. They are yeah, they are no. all really good and they're kind of they do kind of they make you think. Yeah, the way they're done and all that. So that's that's what I loved about covers because I feel like there's, I would say at least fifteen Easter eggs in that video. Yeah, like if you watch it through, you'll go, oh wait, that's that's what that is. And um, yeah, film films are a great way to. Yeah. I love I love that I love because I love that in films. I love when someone tricks me and like twists, and you're like, oh, that made me think. And you should watch it again. You should, but you shouldn't ever just be resting on it. But I, I, so I hope with this next video, like that's the other thing when you make a video and you think it's great, like not that I'm saying my videos are pure amazing, but like when you're happy with what you've done, um, you think, man, I've got to beat that. Like I, I've got to do. I've got to get. I've got to get better. You know, I've got to do even better this time. I want to make, and and for me, I was kind of like, I want, I want to make the best video this year. Like I want to like people to look back and go, like, was that the best music video that happened this year? Like that's my thing. I'm like, let's make something that's just like different, and people might look back and go, like, wow, like they really did something, yeah, cool. Like that, just that's something different that was like stimulating, and it made us, I don't know, or maybe maybe it won't. I don't know. <laughs> We'll see. What about your Instagram, your Sunday socials? We're going to be doing any more of them? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it comes back. Um, like I, The only reason it stopped was because I'm doing this short film and um, for the last eight weeks, the production meetings have been on a Sunday. Right. So like, I just, I've been stuck in production meetings, which is like is what it is. But yeah, I'm hoping it's going to come back maybe this Sunday if I can get a... I guess sorted and but that's really ad hoc man I just like get in touch with people and see who comes on so it's like you're relying on people being mm-hmm. up for doing it but I've, I've been loving it so you just sitting talking to folk about music and chatting about the world and singing a couple of songs it's been really nice and um, I thought about making it a real podcast but I don't know I kind of like that it's just live and people can chip in and talk and maybe feel like they've got company for an hour you know yeah well I like it I only discovered that a couple of months ago and then I went back and watched them all uh, but 
Oh, it's good. It's good, kind of. It's it's a nice time as well. See, like on the Sunday, it's mm. kind of. Do you know what I always thought of it? Dead relaxed, isn't it? It'll be like people's hangover cure. Like they finally yeah. feel good enough to look at their phone at twelve, and they'll go, ah, "That's quite good. It kept me company while I was spinning." <laughs> it's kind of like a Instagram version of that Sunday brunch. You know that program? <laughs> it's like that, isn't it? It's just about me as child, and you, if you want to like that one with Rennie. Rennie's drinking about three different cocktails, aren't he? Ah, you should have just done a cocktail masterclass. <laughs> Like yeah, I I'm really, I really hope um, I can get Webby on this time. But he's he's like you know people know that he's not he's not a very social media guy. You know he's no, well he's done he's done a podcast with the boy Derek. Obviously done Derek's podcast early on, but I mean that was like a tw- twenty minutes or so, and it was near a long podcast. And that's I think the only one I've heard him on. You try to get any of the boys on this one, it's really hard. But if you're speaking to Billy Mitchell, if you get him on, if you can speak Definitely to him, man. tell him to answer some of his messages, because I've been messaging him for but weeks. See, to be fair to Billy, like he's not messaged me very much lately, he's been right. working loads, so... Because I was sitting the other day, excuse me, like, man, I'm, I tweet about Billy all the time, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. Billy, come on, I'm like your biggest fan, okay, you've never answered me or whatever, but... Um, yeah, no, definitely. Like, just do you know what? Like, message me after this and tell me who's on your wish list, and I'll message them. And if they rubber me, then I'll I'll never be their pals anymore. Thank you very much. Again, before we go, just if you want to tell everybody where they can get a hold of you. Yeah, um, Instagram's Brown Bear underscore official. Um, Twitter's at Brown Bear Band. Uh, we're on Spotify and all that. Brown Bear is always one word, and then I think. Facebook's facebook.com forward slash brown bear official and just I know man just <clears throat> I always say to people just give me a message like just talk to me and say tell me what I'm doing like tell me what you like you know someone got in touch with me the other day and they said could I record a cover for them and their boyfriend because they're apart during lockdown and I'm always up for like yeah I'm sound I'm really sound okay guys just believe it yeah nice guy one of the nicest guys in the music industry thanks right, very yeah. much Matt for thanks. coming on thank you cheers, cheers no, thanks for having me man so that was Matt Hickman. I hope you all enjoyed that interview. I think it's safe to say Matt's one of the nicest guys in the music industry and it was a pleasure to speak to him. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and if you are, continue liking, listening, sharing and downloading. And if you want to get in touch on Instagram at Typical Time Podcast, on Twitter at Time Typical and on email at typicaltimepodcast at gmail.com Thanks again guys I want you to-